Expo Show Report. We look at Phoenix Pinball's Olympic Goblin game. An exclusive interview with Jack Guarneri of Jersey Jack Pinball. Hello and welcome to this uh, second uh, podcast by Pinball News and Pinball Magazine. My name is Jonathan Joosten and on the other end of this Skype call is Martin A. of Pinball News. Welcome, Martin. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Great to, sit, great to talk to you again. Right. Obviously, we spent all weekend together. Well, sort of. Um, In a way. Yes, that's yes. right. Um, <laughs> we both went to the Flip Expo show in Le Treport, France. Um, Indeed we did. Yes. And it was, a, it was a lovely weekend we spent there. And uh, uh, Well, you were there for a bit longer than I was. I think you were there from, what, Friday through to Monday? Yes, I was. Um, okay, I was only there from Friday afternoon and we... Um, Christina and I left on Sunday afternoon, so uh, we missed the very end of the show, but uh, I think we saw a, a good deal of it. Yes. Um, did we miss anything exciting? Um, the weather cooling down Sunday afternoon, which was actually very welcome because it was pretty hot in both the uh, halls. Um, to explain, it was. To explain to the listeners a little bit about this show, this show is held in um, a venue that has like a, uh, a gym, and there is a uh, a hall with a stage that could be let's refer to that as the concert hall because they do a lot of concerts in there as well um, the concert hall is set up as the uh, free play area and there is also a tournament being run in front of the stage so they line up all the pinball machines running in the tournament um, uh, in front of the stage um, and the gym hall is referred to as the vendor hall so all the vendors are in one hall, um, but it doesn't mean there are no games there because there's plenty of vendors with new games and old games at their uh, stands or booths, whatever you want to call them. Um, which makes it in a very interesting mix, I think at least. It does. I think it worked very well. Um, the space given over to the vendors was was plentiful and they certainly took advantage of that because they had some very large stands there with, uh, with a very impressive selection of parts. I was, uh, you know, most of these shows you can imagine vendors think, oh, I don't want to bring along, you know, all, all my different uh, coloured flipper buttons or different types of posts or different start button colours. But there you go along and you see a massive long table that's, you know, about five, six metres long. Boxes after boxes of these things, all in different colours and different varieties. And... Now, on a personal level, I've been going to pinball shows for quite a while and trying to find one little part, which um, I'm sure I could buy online, because it, but because it is just one little part, it's a little flipper octo, you know, those little U-shaped brackets that go on the flipper boards. Um, it wasn't worth ordering online, but I thought I'd pick it up at a pinball show, and I've been to so many shows, and no, none of them have actually had this available, but this show did, and in fact had several different types, so... Uh, Congratulations to all the vendors who took the, the effort to bring out huge stocks of their, their parts and and, um, um, and assorted, oh, I don't want to call it junk, but it is, because that makes it uh, sound as if it's not worth anything, but there's a lot of a lot of very interesting parts that you wouldn't see in, in other shows there. Right. Um, what's also interesting to note is that um, this was the 12th edition of this show. Um, when the show started out, um, I think you were there even uh, earlier to previous editions than I was, but when I got there the first time, and that was like, I think five or six years ago, 
um, the entire show was in what we refer to as the, the concert hall. And the second hall, which is now the vendor hall, was not part of the show. In fact, we didn't even realize it was part of the same building. Um, now that it is, obviously it freed up a lot of space in the, in the concert hall for free play games. Uh, because prior to that everything was, had to be cramped in there. And one of the benefits is that this allows vendors to bring a lot of stuff because they have so much space. Absolutely, yes. You're absolutely right. I was, uh, I was there quite some time ago, and in fact, I hadn't even been for five years. 2013 was the last time I went to that show, right? And it was all in the one hall again. And um, people were getting a bit fed up, I think, or visitors were, and I suspect vendors were too, that they just didn't have the space. Uh, the vendors would maybe bring along a couple of games and they stick them on this stand, but. Um, there really wasn't room for people to play them uh, and with other people trying to mill around and get parts out of boxes and get boards fixed and all that kind of thing. Well, that, that was another thing which I should mention about the vendors. There were at least two board fixing services available there where people could bring boards along which, which weren't working and they'd be diagnosed, um, you know, resoldered or components replaced as and when and, and returned straight back to the person who brought them in a, in a matter of minutes. I thought that was a very useful and, and um, impressive service and it was certainly taken up by a lot of people. I saw uh, queues of people with boards, you know, just waiting to get them fixed and right. um, if I'd known I'd have taken a board or two along myself. But, uh, not that I can't fix them but, you know, sometimes it's easier just to let somebody else do it, isn't it? Well, that's always easier. As long as, <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> as, long as they know what they're doing. <laughs> Well, it certainly looked like they did, and they had plenty of spares there to do do all the repairs with. Uh, right. So, uh, so that was nice. Uh, but yes, it was certainly a much much better, much more relaxed, and much more spacious show this time, and uh, allowed there to be far more uh, free play games in the, in the concert hall than uh, the were last time. And that was certainly a, a complaint that we had right. from some of the uh, European visitors that I, I, I spoke to about it. They were saying uh, there was no space, and the games that were there weren't necessarily working well, but this time being to concentrate on a dedicated um, free play area, dedicated vendor hall really worked well. So uh, congratulations to them and uh, we're certainly looking forward to coming back next year. Right, so um, one little note on the games present in the free play area. Um, a couple of games were there with either no credits on them or not even a ball installed. Um, so it's nice to bring a game, but then if nobody can use it, what's the use? Yes, I saw that as well, and I was wondering why. You know, certain games, you know, it's the older games particularly, which, which don't allow free play, um, and you have to put in a really low replay scoring or work out some other method whereby you press the start button and add the credit too. You know, that's a bit of extra work. But obviously somebody brought the game along, and as you say, if anything put any balls in it, then it can never be played. And... Um, there was one game that was in the vendor hall, actually, wasn't there? That was it was on paper play. Oh, really? Uh, that was the yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, was on. Um, I think it was fifty cents a game, or maybe it was a euro a game. Right. Um, uh, all the other games in the hall were on free play, and I don't think I ever saw anybody ever play Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what the point of that being there was, unless it was to sell it um, as a, as a new inbox or virtually new inbox unused. Game. Probably, yes. Uh, uh, it's a shame because it's a good game and I'd like to have played some more on it, but there you go. So, uh, but there were plenty of games in the free play hall to enjoy. Uh, and on Sunday, I think when I was playing it, it wasn't that hard to find a game to, that was free that I could play. Right. Um, so, 
certain games you'd, you'd see uh, uh, available and you go up and press the start button as you were saying and nothing happens um, either no credits or no balls in it right um, but but generally on Sunday you can find a game to play uh, Saturday I doubt that was the case it was a lot busier in the, in the hall wasn't it right so there's one interesting note that I have to add because uh, I think you left around 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon something like that yeah shortly after that yeah the, the show uh, yeah. was open until 6 in the afternoon um, and the interesting thing was, um, Sunday afternoon it got busier and busier. There were people still coming in um, at, at 4.30. I mean, entrance to the show, the entrance fee was, is only 4 euro, which is something like $5, something like that. Um, and uh, the, di there's a different mentality with the people going there. The people visiting this show, the locals at least, are like, oh sure, let's go play pinball. And they go there for two hours and they played some pinball and that's enough for them and then they leave. You know, and that's why you see on Sunday mm -hmm. afternoon, if people are bored with whatever doing they were doing, uh, and they figure, oh, let's go play some pinball, they just come in for two hours and then, and that's enough for them. So it did actually... Yeah, and it's, it, it's, it's worth mentioning that um, that that whole ability to be able to charge four euros for entry, um, I think it was three last time I was there, so that's a massive price hike. Percentage-wise, oh. um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, a whole euro more over five years. Um, that's all down to the fact that, that the, the municipal council is far-sighted enough to actually give them the use of the, the hall, both halls now, for free. Right. Uh, on the basis that they bring a lot of lot of visitors, a lot of custom to the town and to the shops and the hotels, uh, and the whole place benefits from that. Um, right. I just wish there were other other places in, in the world. I've never, never heard of this before anywhere that were as far sighted and, and thought in the in the long term and had a joined up plan where they give a show a venue for free on the basis that it actually helps the overall economy of the town and that's something which uh, we might be nice to see elsewhere. Right, and um, um, let me chime in on that in the sense that what this show does that I haven't seen uh, on any other shows in the world except for shows in France, what this show does is on uh, Saturday evening they have a banquet which is mainly for the volunteers of the show and the people who bring games. Um, they do sell tickets, so if you want to be at the banquet you can buy a ticket and that's not even that expensive. And this year uh, the food was really good. Was, uh, they had um, a, a huge grill outside in which they were grilling chickens and hams and um, there were sausages, they had vegetables. And there were four types of meat and three types of uh, vegetables and um, having been to previous of these um, uh, banquets that they did um, all the ones that I've been to prior to this have been inside in in one of the halls mostly in the concert hall um, this year the weather was extremely sunny and warm for the especially for the time of the year um, so they decided to do it outside, which was great. Um, yes, yeah, so the one I went to five years ago was, was indoors, and, uh, and it, was, it was excellent food, but, but it, the whole thing did last quite a long time. Right. How, how was the timing on the, the one that you were at then this weekend? I think um, it, it took over three hours in total. Um, uh, we're in France, so that means um, like 7.30 they started off with a sort of happy hour, 
which means that everybody is basically drinking alcoholic drinks or um, non-alcoholic drinks. There's all sorts of chips and uh, snacks also available as a sort of appetizers, I would say. Um, and then I think around 8, 8.30, we got a... Um, um, somebody gave us the nod that uh, luckily the table where I was sitting at was all the way at the end, but we were the first to go um, and line up for um, uh, grabbing a plate and, and um, uh, taking the meat and the vegetables and so on, and then everybody else followed, you know, and that took quite a while because I think there were like probably 150, maybe even 200 people at that banquet. It was... It was wow. Yeah. But it was great. The atmosphere was great. There was very a lot of camaraderie and everybody was having fun. I was at the table with uh, Jack Ranieri. Um, even he couldn't stop talking about it on Sunday, how much fun he had. We had such a great night. It was really, it's difficult to describe. Just so let's, let's just say it was absolutely a great night. Fantastic. Wonderful. And that's, um, there's something, I mean, European shows, I think in general, and, and the French shows in particular, Particular, um, have a very much more relaxed and I would say laid back attitude to uh, alcohol in general. Right. Um, not 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 in a in a sort of a bad way, but in a, in a good way. In the way that it's not seen as such a demonic um, drink uh, that has to be outlawed or pushed to the back, or anybody who's seen drinking is is a t terrible thing. No. You know, we were there. Well, we on on Saturday and about what eleven o'clock or something. Yeah, no, at said, noon. Oh, let's have a Oh, noon, was it? Okay, let's have a toast. So out came the the, uh, the Ricard right. um, and the Martini, uh, Bianco and Rosso there. They had scotch so even there, and whiskey. Did they? I didn't yeah. even see that. Yeah. And everyone has a little toast um, to, to mark the success of the show, the fact that it's all underway. Um, and that's it, and you can move on. Um, it's not, not even considered anything, you know. They've got to have a champagne stand at the show, selling right. branded champagne. Um, I'm sure you can have a little taster if you, if you wanted as well. Um, but it was nice to, you know, uh, I think probably our American listeners will, will probably not understand exactly how this is a much more uh, informal and, and laid back and casual um, event rather than, it, than alcohol being seen as something absolutely forbidden and you mustn't be seen drinking it, particularly not with kids around or anything like that. Well, it's, it's just. I mean, it's France, they drink wine like lemonade, so for them it's more absolutely. common. Than, than for for other uh, cultures or countries, you know. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but but um, but going back to what you were saying earlier, and, and you mentioned um, about about uh, sharing a table with Jack, and um, uh, I'm sure a number of people would like to hear what Jack had to say to us. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about how we came to to talk to to Jack over the weekend? Um, well. Obviously, we, we knew that Jack was going to be there, so um, we discussed ahead that we definitely wanted to see if we could get Jack to comment on the recent events um, ar around the Pirates of the Caribbean game, where um, the three spinning discs me um, uh, mechanism is being pulled and replaced by a single disc. Um, and actually, uh, what happened was that I think we had a two-hour talk with Jack um, completely off the record. 
which was great. Yeah, and he that's talked, about right. He, he talked to us a lot about what's going on in the company, and uh, which gave us a lot of insights. And with that all being off the record, of course, we can't get into that. But it did help us because I told Jack, we still need to go on the record and record something, which we did, but it helped us in getting out some questions and then leaving it up to Jack how much he wants to reveal or not. That's right, yeah. Well, we we didn't want to stray into areas that he definitely wouldn't be talking about because that would just be pointless, really. But we could, in a way, sort of um, approach various issues in certain ways and um, give him the opportunity to say uh, what he can about the, the situation regarding those the change to both the spinning disc and the uh, the chest uh, mechanism, which has also changed to being a fixed rather than a, a sort of open and closed mechanism. Right. Um, so what we did was, as Jonathan said, we had a, had a pre-chat about about the situation, and then we went uh, we went and hunted out a, a reasonably quiet place to have a talk uh, and, and record the interview. Now, obviously, at a, sh at a show like that, uh, it's not that easy just to find a little little room somewhere. And um, now Jack is the guest at the show, and he needs to be needs to be out and about and meeting people, and he wants to be. Um, so we found a little little um, sheltered, um, shaded area around the back of the gymnasium hall, right, where we could sit down and uh, just have have that little interview um, in the open air because it, it was you know it was pretty hot during the day. So uh, the, the the good thing about that was that nobody interrupted us during that. But the downside is it was a bit breezy out there, and also you'll hear in the interview a few sort of background noises of um, birds and dogs and motor vehicles, and which sound like somebody's coming in, I guess, with a chainsaw, but it's not really, it's just a, a motorbike or something taking off. Right. Um, but I think, well, personally, I think it went very well, and we got um, some useful information out of it. What, what was your impression after the end of it, Jonathan? No, I, I think you're right. Um, Jack talked about the things that were going on. Uh, he addressed the issues. I don't think there was anything he didn't want to talk about, at least not in terms of what we asked him um, to discuss. Obviously, he, we knew what the, the subjects were, were not to touch, but I was, well, I, when I was trying to lean into something, I gave him the space to either get into it or not. And I think that he did. And I, I was personally very happy to hear from Jack uh, to see him on Sunday, and obviously, obviously he replayed the whole thing in his uh, mind as well how it went, and he was very happy how it went. So, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, the other thing I just add is that there was no at no point did, did Jack say to us, "I can't talk about that," or did he ask us to take anything out of the interview afterwards? No. So what, what you're about to hear is verbatim what what he told us. Um, and our and our questions as, right. as well. So we will not waste any more time. Um, there's one. Uh, I'll, for the record, I will say there's one edit uh, that that we're making in the uh, in the interview, which is when your girlfriend <laughs> called you, <laughs> which wasn't really necessary to keep in. So that's fair. Yeah, yeah. In in, um, in fair disclosure, yes, my phone did go off in the middle of it, um, just as we arranged to meet up after the interview. And the, good, the thing about it was, you know, as with all these things, and with our last podcast, exactly the same, you know, we think it 
it's going to be you know 10 minutes 15 minute interview and then there we are 50 minutes later still talking right so uh, so when i tell her oh i'll be finished in, in 10 minutes um of course that doesn't happen so uh, not her um, not her fault my fault for misjudging exactly how uh, how long we could get this going for but uh, anyway so i'll uh, right you've got so- any Anything else to add before we, we lead into it? Yes, I do. Um, for the people, obviously, we're going into the Jack Ger- uh, Guarnieri interview right now. But after that, we also be talking about the Olympic Goblin game from Phoenix Pinball, which was at the show. And yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. What else are we going to talk about? Uh, well, we're, we're going to keep this relatively short because this isn't our monthly update. This is just a one-off special to bring you this as quickly as possible um so let's 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 just play the interview and work out what we're going to talk about later but we have got the the uh, Lick goblin stuff was uh, was very interesting it's my first time seeing the game so i'll give you my impression of it right uh, but uh, that's that's still to come and we do a, a wrap-up of uh, of the, the show as a whole so um anyway okay let's listen to uh, listen to what jack has to say um Thanks again to Jack for, for doing the interview, and um, okay, over to you. So we're here in Le Trépour, France, at Flip Expo 2018, which is a wonderful show. Read our show reports, if we haven't told, talked about that, uh, on uh, either pinballmagazine.com or uh, pinballnews.com. Um, we're here with a special guest at the show, Jack Guarnieri of Jersey Jack Pinball. Thank you, Jack, for making time to talk to us. Well, that's what I'm here for. I, I would I would do nothing else. And it's no nice that we're sitting in a little garden in the shade because it's about, you know, I might be sweating a little bit, but it's not because of the questions that I anticipate you asking me. It's actually because it's pretty warm over here. And uh, back home in New Jersey right now, it's freezing. Uh, so it's it's a nice change. It's beautiful people here. They're excited about pinball. The show is really big. Uh, Frank, the organizer, has done a great job. So uh, it's all good. It's really, it's really a nice place to be. I'm happy to be here. Right. Even with you guys. Yeah. And before we start, we just apologize to anybody who may be listening. But there's going to be a certain amount of background noise here from various vehicles, which are part of the retro show they're doing at um, Flip Expo. Uh, Not to mention all the birds flying around. Birds by. flying around, yeah. Yeah, well, we are right next to the, the, the port here at uh, Le Trepport. Beautiful. So you'll be seagulls and various other backgrounds. Yeah, that's noise. not a soundtrack that was added to this. That yeah, was we, we, a real Yeah, sound. we got a full sound effect on this podcast. <laughs> so we got to yeah, we're, the real thing. We're actually in a, in a bunker. <laughs> we took Jack hostage. <laughs> yeah, and the sound effect CD, yes. Anyway, so... so um, so being here at the show and um, being on a European trip for you, because you've been here for over a week now. Yeah, I started in uh, Austria last weekend. We had a great show there too. Right. Then you went to Germany, you visited Pinball Universe. Yes. Which is one of your new distributors here in yes, Europe. Yes, that, that was a great time too. And they do an amazing job. We were really happy to be invited there. So that was a lot of fun. Right. And, um, well... All the time while you were in Europe, there was um, a lot of, well, let's call it noise on the internet. Uh, there's been a, made an announcement about the Pirates of the Caribbean game, where um, two mechanisms are removed and replaced with uh, substitutes, which not everybody may seem happy about. Um, 
is there anything you would like to comment about that? Well, um, you know, first of all, I apologize for the fact that we even showed this game when we did. Uh, you know, I take responsibility for that. I think the days of showing a game and not shipping it uh, for us are probably over. Um, you know, we always, the company was founded on an idea to try to do the impossible, always innovate, uh, have these amazing games, and that game, you know, uh, I will say yes, the, the triple spinning disc was a really uh, wonderful and far-reaching mechanism, but, you know, like a meal that you would eat at a restaurant, it has to, it has to cook until it's done. We kind of ran out of time to make that thing cook until it's done. It's not reliable enough for us to put it in games. I don't want to have an episode where, uh, like we had light boards failing and other issues that we didn't get to with other games that we had to correct later in the marketplace. I'd rather endure a little bit of criticism, or a lot of criticism, and some pain uh, to make really a bulletproof game. And believe me, um, when the game is done, and we're building them this summer, and they start shipping to customers, Customers will say nothing less than, wow, the game is amazing. And, uh, you know, the people that decided not to buy it right now, uh, look, they're not sales anyway. They're pre-orders. They're really not sales until they ship. So when the game ships, it'll be judged on its own merit. It won't be judged on what I say. It'll be judged on reality, which is our customer's reality. And we're very respectful of uh, their loyalty and their money and their um, patience with us. And I just think, um, as always with pinball that we all love, there's a lot of reaction, there's a lot of opinion, there's a lot of overreaction, there's a lot of criticism. And it goes with the territory. You know, we have a pretty thick skin, and we've been through a lot worse. And um, we just want to make a really great product. So, uh, you know, um, that's, that's really the first and foremost thing. And, and really, our games are stuffed with so much that if that spinning disc wasn't on the game ever, and I know it's hard to unsee it. Um, the game was phenomenal without that item. Uh, really what goes into it now, and, and to answer the next question that you're going to ask me, you know, you took something out, are you putting something in, probably? I know you pretty well. Uh, you're laughing. Um, you know, what's going into it is, is not just uh, the commitment to make a great game, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of programming um, because that wheel will live on the LCD. So JP has a lot of work to do to make the wheel virtual on the screen, um, to make the rewards and awards come to life. And it'll be really a sensory overload experience. Probably probably be able to better show it on the screen than you actually could show it on the playfield. You were saying it, it, it take, takes longer than you have to actually develop that as a reliable functional mechanism but it's going to take some time to do animations as well right so you are actually ruling out the chance of that ever making a return in any form it's it's not going to be in a black pearl edition it's not no. going to be in anything to do with right. with pirates so it's okay? Gone. okay yeah i mean look you know have i said things before that were were changed a little bit here and there but this is this is something really that, you know, we're not going to be tricking our customer base or anything like that. You know, I, I, I wish I could tell you, yeah, it'll be in the CE game or it'll be somewhere else. Who knows? Maybe in three or four years it'll be in a different game altogether. You know, I, I think the mechanism, if it could be perfected, and, and pinball we know the word perfected is not 
really a good word um, because 100% of the time things work 60%. You know, uh, there's a lot of shots and mechanisms on toys and every kind of pinball machine made that really don't work all the time. We're kind of aiming a little higher than that. We want things to work all the time. Um, you know, so it's it's a lot more difficult to do it. I mean, I guess we could have said, you know, it's good enough, put it on the game, push it out the door. But I really don't think, um, I don't think it's respectful of the customer base. They're paying a lot of money. They deserve a game that works. I don't want to see these mechanisms. And this is not something somebody's going to take apart, the average customer of ours that buying a high-end machine. They deserve more respect than having to take something like this apart and service it or not service department, sending out advanced replacement parts and everything. I went through that with the light boards on Wizard of Oz. It cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars, and we warrantied those parts many, many years after. We're still sending some people light boards gratis on the company. So, you know, certainly we want to stand behind it. And, and Jonathan, you know, your other question, you know, is it a money thing? It's not a money thing, you know? And I, I don't know if you would ask that, but... I didn't, but... Yeah, you're thinking I'd like the question. I, I don't know. You know, it's... it's it's not a money thing. It's it's a pinball thing. It's it's got nothing to do with money. You know, we uh, we spend a lot of money. You know, people see us do an unlicensed game. Uh, you know, like dialed in, and at first they said, "Well, you don't have to pay all the license fees for that. It should be cheaper." Probably cost us more to do dialed in than it cost us uh, to do a game like Hobbit. So, uh, what appears on the outside to be something, really, when you get into it and you start doing it, and you know, you realize what's involved. It's, it's a lot different. You were saying that you regret having shown the game when you did at that time. Um, has anything now changed with the company or the way in which you're going to promote future games as a result of that? No, I believe it has. I believe, you know, it's... To me personally, having gone through, like so many of us, uh, the whole Wizard of Oz thing, you know, where we expected to have a game in a year and a half, and it was, you know, close to three years. Hobbit, you know, the pain that we went through in announcing the game and showing it, and then the backlash and taking a year to redo the game to make it a better game. Uh, dialed in, all of these games always take us longer than we think or we project they're going to take. It's just the nature of engineering and releasing parts and having vendors make parts and getting the parts the assembly line and of course we joke you know the most important part is the part we don't have but you know it's not really a joke when you have uh you know 100 people working for a company and you have to keep an assembly line running and you have to fulfill game orders from customers that want to buy your games i mean we've had people we've had some people knee-jerk react and cancel pirates and i've had distributors tell me Jack, I got news for you. You know, I had people cancel Pirates and they ordered, uh, and we delivered Hobbits. So net-net to us, uh, it's not a marketing ploy that we did this to Pirates to sell more <coughs> Hobbits or dialed in, but people love our games. They want us to succeed. They love that we've raised the bar. They love that we've helped other companies create better products because of what we're doing. And look, when you aim really high, as we do, and all the people in the company are committed to this, all our, our programmers, our engineers, our designers, the people on the assembly line, the people in the parts department, people in accounting, everybody in the company, the DNA of all those people to make really a great product and, and make something spectacular for our customers. You know, when you aim high, sometimes it happens that you miss that target, but you're still, you're still pretty high up there. 
And I don't, I'm not going to apologize for pirates. I think once the game ships and everything, you go back and listen to this interview, sentiment is going to love the game. So is it more, is it, you're saying it's more of a case of you're still going to be producing the top premium quality game, but you will show it later. You'll show it in a more complete and more ready-to-ship version rather than something that's still a work in progress. Yes. I, I think some people, even from the beginning, you know, we had to show something at the very beginning. People put their money down. In, in this case, people put, you know, a 250 or $1,000 refundable deposit down. The money's in an escrow account. We're not using that money as we did in the very beginning. If you gave me $10, I probably spent $11 in the beginning. So it was a different thing. Um, you know, we want to grow as a company. The company's seven years old, going on eight years old. Um, it's it's time for it to grow up, and I think part of that process is is showing a game a year, building a game a year. Um, uh, you know, making sure that what we ship works. Um, not that in the after after the sale process we say, well, we probably shouldn't have shipped this because we knew this didn't work exactly right. We don't, we don't want to be saying that. You know, we want your experience to be a great experience. And remember, you know, if we talk about pinball shows and all the shows that there are and the growing marketplace, the growing customer base, the growing hobby base, thousands more people come into pinball every year. Um, the people that might buy Pirates of the Caribbean walk into one of our distributors, let's say, this year in the fourth quarter around holiday time, they won't know of any of the drama, whether there was the three spinning discs or eight spinning discs on the game. They're going to play the game, they're going to love the game, they're going to see Pirates of the Caribbean, they're going to say, give me that game, I want that game for Christmas, or I want that game for uh, whatever occasion, or just for no occasion. The game is going to sell. It's a, it's a spectacular game. So I'm not, I'm not going to make an apology about what the game is. I'm, I'm apologetic about the fact that we, um, you know, that we uh, did things the way we did them, and I take responsibility for that. I'm sorry about it. No, I was just thinking in terms of, you always shown... Your, your new games at Pinboard Expo every year. Is it time to maybe give you more breathing space yes. before you announce the next one? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there were some game designers on the video game side of our industry that used to say, you know, we'll, we'll show the game when it's ready. I, I think that's a better plan, but the plan is to internalize and figure out when we want the game to be ready, not that the game is ready on its own. You know, here we are, it's spring, and all the trees flowered, right? Because Mother Nature knows that when it gets warm, uh, the birds are coming back, and the, and the bees are flying around, and we have to be more exact like that. We, ha we have to have a plan and get, it, and get it together, and we will. So, that makes me wonder, um, the current mechanism that's been taken out of three discs, um, Due to showing the game and having it at shows, these uh, technical issues occurred. Um, aren't you afraid that you're not going to run into those if you're not going to be showing off the game until it's ready? Exactly. That's exactly right. And and you know this is what you know this is what it is. I mean, years ago we all know the history of pinball. What pinball companies would do in the past. Uh, remember, there was no social media. There wasn't the home sales, it wasn't the enthusiasm there is now. There were operators like me that, um, you know, they tested these mechanisms, and we do internally, we test them as well, and they fail. We, we test things, uh, pushing them 
over the usage to try to get them to fail. Um, you know, part of the advantage of having games and going to shows with them and everything uh, is that, yes, people get to see them and they get to understand them. You know, last week in Austria, I would say most of the people there never, you know, played Pirates of the Caribbean or even some of our other games. Um, that's the upside. The downside is, you know what, if it's not going to be on the game, don't put it on the game. All right? You know, figure that out beforehand. It's like showing somebody a gift they're going to get for their birthday. By the way, happy birthday tomorrow, Jonathan. Thank you. You know, uh, I'll have to get your birthday gift. I could show you a birthday gift and then take it away. That would I be saw that dialed in with a red ribbon around it. Thank you so much. Enjoy it. You can use it today and tomorrow. <laughs> Just the red ribbon, not, not the game. Yeah, but exactly. Martin, they're always my diplomat for that. Yeah, so, you know, there is a danger in that, and you have to, you have to balance those things. Right, because there's still the risk that if you implement whatever mechanism, um, if it hasn't been tested well enough, right. then you start shipping games and right. problems will occur. Well, how about, you know, if you tested something in a certain way and it, and it passed, you know, one, two, three, four tests and it failed in five, six, seven, you know, in somebody's home, you know, a year from now. Who knows? I mean, we need to do our best, which is really the goal, to get better every day and to... Uh, and to learn from mistakes, and uh, yeah, it's always true that you're better off learning from other people's mistakes. But uh, when you make the mistakes, they hurt a lot more. So you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to make them again. But to be fair, you're not exactly the first company to do something like that, are you? Um, I look my last cast back to the early '90s and uh, again Judge Dredd with the Dead World, another spinning disc. They seem to be the the bane of pinball. Um, where they tried to lock balls on it and the, the arm to take the balls off wasn't reliable enough so they had to change the whole mech and not lock balls. Right. Yeah. But that's a, a historical footnote. It probably wasn't a, a, a real-time live, uh, you know, social media discussion uh, at the time. You know, no operator probably didn't pass on a Judge Dredd because the spinning disc wasn't on the cam. People no, didn't know the difference. I mean, I, I mean, look, you know, we know that people have taken things. Yeah, anyway, yeah, we're just talking about Judge Dredd. And, um, yeah, well, and, you know. You no, say people didn't not buy. I mean, you know, you didn't have yeah. social media, so you didn't have the influencers people. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny on different, on different sites. People get to weigh in with a poll, you know, will you cancel it, will you buy it? We don't know if they bought it. We don't know if they canceled it. Um, you know, there's a piling on when things are great, and there's a piling on when things are not so great. So we weathered a lot of storms. I just think what we really need to do is do what do we do and, uh, and and make really great games and just just do it instead of talking about it. Is there? This might be a tough question. Um, Management-wise, anything that could or should have been done differently to avoid this? Yeah, well, the answer is yes, but, you know, I mean, every company has different things that they do where, um, you know, things could have been better or could have been worse. So, look, you know, you learn from those things and you um, you improve on it and you try not to make the same mistakes again. Right. Right. <laughs> um, since we, oh, this is a perfect editing point anyway, so... Is there anything you want to address about the Joe situation? And I'll ask a proper question when we go back on the record, but if 
that's something you don't want to discuss, and I won't. See you know, people that. people don't know him. Uh, they they know somebody was brought in. So you know, like saying he's there or not there, it's kind of like not even a. You know, it's not even like a, a talking point, really. It's just. Okay. I think people are more comfortable of the fact that um, that I'm still there to be honest with you. Well, that was going to be my, my next question, actually. Is it, not, not, not whether you're still there, but what, what exactly your role is at the moment, because obviously uh, you've been around quite a few shows recently <laughs> and uh, away from the factory. Um, you know, my role in the company, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the chief cheerleader. Uh, you know, the company wears my name, which is really um, very uh, humbled and proud of that. Um, you know, I get to go to shows and interact with our customer base, our distributors. Um, and, um, you know, I have a hand in, in uh, developing the products, deciding what the products are going to be. Uh, the licensing for the company, I do that. So, uh, um, you know, working on licenses and, and uh, ideas, what we're doing, you know, uh, you know, I, I still believe I'm the visionary of the company, and I don't know everything. I still like to learn things. Um, being out there with the customer base really gives me a different perspective on what's happening on the ground real time. Um, because I don't take what I know or what I think I know. I listen to everybody. You know, I, I came here, and the customer said to me right away, it's a pleasure to meet you. I have a problem with my dialed in. Walked over to his game and we found we had a connector that was a little bit loose on it. So he was kind of like uh, shocked that a, um, you know, I said, yeah, let's go look at the game and b, you know, that we found a problem. Uh, so he was happy. Um, you know, I, I like to do everything I can to support the people in the company and to work for the success of the company. So, look, it's my baby. I started it and uh, I want to see it uh, do really well. I want to see the people in the company do really well, and I said, I want to see all of our customers and our distributors uh, be really happy with everything we everything we build. And you have a, an increased number of uh, distributors now, is that right? Yeah, I think I think since probably November we've added about 17 distributors uh, worldwide. Uh, you know, you guys saw me at the show in London. Uh, we added uh, many new uh, uh, experienced uh, European distributors. I think since um, I think since November, I was looking the other day in the system, and we sold something like close to 800 games to those 17 new distributors, of which about half have shipped already. So uh, it's really great. You know, people want our games. They know we're here. They know we're here to stay. There's no question about our commitment to the industry and reliability of games or playability of games. So. Um, uh, you know, it's it's good. You know, rising tide lifts all boats, as they say. Since we're near the seashore, I kind of think of that. And us doing what we did, I think it enabled a lot of other people to um, get involved with pinball and designing pinball and building pinball. And it's good. It's good for everybody. Since you've been um, <coughs> in the business of building pinball machines, you've raised the bar quite a bit, um, which resulted in other companies also raising the bar. Um, but there's also the uh, risk of the games being 
overly complicated that the public for who you're actually building the games you risk losing yeah you know you have a good point i mean the market was different when uh, wizard of oz was in uh, twinkle in my eye uh, i wanted a game with sensory overload i didn't say no to anything that was added uh, the company mantra was uh, we're not building games with a calculator we're building them with passion of course my people uh, you know took that literally uh, and, uh, and we wound up well we wound up with really a spectacular game that we're going to continue to build for many years to come uh, we, we sell Wizard of Oz games every day and, and we're very proud of the game the however part of that is you're right um, with the growing amount of people coming into pinball uh, they're not that skilled, and that, and that is the word, you know, the casual players, they're not that skilled to climb into the extremely deep rule sets, and we don't want them to be frustrated uh, when they play a game on a location, and uh, we want them to come back, we want them to feel challenged, uh, and we want them to feel that if they play more and they get better at the game, they're going to get further in the game and see more of the cool things that our games do. So yes, our programmers are mindful of that, and you know they're making adjustments to uh, what they do and how they do it. You know, a lot, a lot of us um, creative people uh, create things that we like. So I guess if you, uh, what kind of ice cream did you have before, by the way? It was kind of local brandy flavored. Yeah, right. Calvados. Right. Yeah. So you know, you might have picked chocolate because that's your favorite flavor. But, you know, trying something new is good, too. So while we could make something simple all the time, I think we, we do need to challenge the player base to get them to get further in the game. So, you know, we talk about all these things all the time. This is an ongoing conversation in the company. And, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you can respond to the marketplace when you're making any product, uh, you're going to be more successful. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. Is there ever going to be a chance, let's call it that, that Jersey Jack might be making uh, pinball games that are in a low, lower economical segment to cater to a different market? Uh, possibly. I, I would never say never. I mean, it's, uh, you know, my standard answer to show when I get to ask that question is, you know, why would I do that? Because there are companies doing that already. Um, and, and it's not to be a smug or a wise guy, but there are a lot of companies making games in that space, and uh, there are a lot of options to uh, buyers, uh, whether it's some new product in that space or some good use product in that space. Um, we're in a little different place because there's a lot of stuff in our games, and I put stuff in quotes. I mean, there's, there's a lot in our games, so uh, it costs a lot of money to make that, and we need to charge uh, more for it. Um, you know, could we develop a game later on that has less? But the question I typically get is, is worded with your spirit of the question, but a little differently. People are asking, you know, can I get your game for, you know, six grand kind of question, right? And that's like saying, you know, I want... Uh, you know, I want to buy, um, you know, a Bugatti for 20 grand. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, compromise would be a big word. Uh, 
different brand, you know, years ago, right? General Motors, they had the Cadillac at the high end and the Chevy at the low end, and they they used the same chassis and a lot of the same parts between the brands. It was cosmetic. I, I don't know that we're there yet. We have some great uh, things that we could work on, uh, but you know, we have to get we have to get by some some simpler things that we're working on to get there. Maybe, maybe. Um, in the same sort of topic, um, while you're probably not going to re be revealing what other games is cur are currently being worked on, um, but if you, since you're into the licensing and the company, when you get a certain theme, is that like you're thinking like we can go really deep with that or are you, is that not so much the factor? in the sense that obviously you have programmers that love to go deep in a game, um, but certain themes may not be suitable to go deep. I mean, if you have a, a, a theme that's more appealing to a younger audience that's not that familiar with pinball, maybe you should just keep it simple. Right. And and that's true. You know, different things are going to call for different levels of, uh, of, of work. Um, but, you know, so far... Um, We've put a lot of work into everything. We've put a lot of work into everything. There hasn't been anything where we said, you know, let's let's not do that. I mean, The Hobbit is getting another big software update. Um, you know, we've been working on that. So, uh, you know, um, it, it's it's a commitment to make the best products that we could possibly make. Uh, and when I think about titles, licenses, subjects. Uh, different genres of product, different thing lends itself to uh, how it's going to be developed and the depth of it. And, um, you know, we, we have a lot of great things coming. I mean, the pipeline right now is extremely exciting. Um, we have some great products coming. And, uh, you know, what else would you expect me to say? But it's true. It's true. Your company is quite unusual in the way, <coughs> one, one of the ways in which it's unusual, as you're saying, is the way you, you're actually physically spread out. You have, obviously, the uh, your main manufacturing facility um, in New Jersey, but you also have your, your campus up in um, in Illinois, and then you also have JP working over in, in, in the Netherlands doing the art, uh, and I'm sure there are other people that uh, we may not even know about working in on other aspects of the game. Well, I've right. already got David Teal's done some, some of the sound right. in, in Seattle. Washington State, right. um, how does that how does that work out? Would it and do you think it'd be better if everybody could sort of be together in, in one one location? Well, you know, we have some people that could sit next to each other and not communicate with each other and we have some people that are on opposite ends of planet Earth that speak all the time. So uh, some of it is based on personalities and how much people interact with other people in the jobs they do. Uh, some of it is based on location. Um, you know, I've thought about this now and then. Uh, when I started the company, I, I, I thought better of all the people that work for the company and that with today's technology and communicating, FaceTime and Skype and instant messaging and all kinds of different ways to do it, if people are in different time zones in different places, they, they still could collaborate easily. And that happens for the most part. Uh, you know, we, we do have people that um, could communicate better, and we have people that, that seemingly uh, communicate all the time. 
so uh, you, you keep working at that as a company. We have a lot of different meetings and a lot of different uh, communications in, uh, in effect. So um, I, I think when people are passionate about what they do and they collaborate with each other as a team, they're really excited and they want to share ideas with each other. And uh, you know, Eric, uh, Eric started working on a new game and he's uh, working with his team and I see communications uh, many, many times a day uh, about what's going on. Uh, you know, Pat's working on his game. Um, I, I, I see some of it. I don't see all of it. Uh, uh, Pat works differently than Eric, as though many other designers have their own style they develop. Um, but as long as they're, uh, as long as they're staying on uh, target for what they need to do, um, you know, it, it works out. So it didn't really matter to me in the end, uh, you know, that part of the company was in one place and part was in the other. Uh, I don't, I don't know that it would really have made a difference because, again, um, you know, the communications is available to everybody to instantly connect with somebody. And I guess you're also able to, to get some of the talent on board that you may not otherwise have been able to persuade to move. Yeah, I mean, that's another... Uproot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I felt more for the people and their families. Um, you know, they have relatives and grandparents and things like that in different places. Uh, you know, JP, being in Holland, um, it, it never hurt. You know, he's always ahead of his work. He turns in everything beautifully. Um, he, he submits things to some of the license... Uh, uh, licensors and properties that he's working on and uh, you know he's just a few hours ahead of us and uh, you know when he's got to get me he knows that I'm up at the crack of dawn four in the morning or whatever uh, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning for him and you know he knows if he's got to get me uh, you know so it, it works out it works out um, you've been here in Europe now for over a week, a little over a week. Um, you're well. You got a, a busy touring schedule. You're on the road a lot. Mm -hmm. um, are you still enjoying it? How do I look? Oh, you. Well, we're sitting here in a garden in the <laughs> shade of the sunny. Beautiful, right? Beautiful, right? You know, I'm, I'm very blessed and very lucky and very happy and yeah, I, I love it. You know, I love, um, sometimes I don't love the travel as much because, um, you know, airports and trains and things like that, it's a pain in the neck. But, um, uh, you know, aside from that, you know, like the other day I landed in Vienna, you know, people on my Facebook, oh, Vienna, I have some sausages, have some Vienna fingers, have this, you know, I landed in Vienna. I got off the plane, I carried on, I didn't have a check bag, I walked, I don't know, half a mile to the train station, which was, you know, covered area. I got on the train and I headed three hours to, you know, Austria, or the other part of Austria. Where so the, much for Vienna. Where the show was, right, it's, it's, it's fine, it's, it's okay, you know, it's, it's kind of like, wow, so glamorous, you know, last year I did 120,000 miles in the air, and I have no complaint about it at all. Um, uh, you know, when I go home, there'll be a bag of garbage for me to take out. My wife uh, is happy if I go. She's a lot happier when I come home. Uh, you know, I miss everybody. Uh, you know, extended trip like this is a little unusual, but, you know, you had two trips 
two shows uh, one weekend after another, so it definitely didn't make sense for me to go uh, back home. I got to visit distributors and customers, and, uh, you know, I got to go to the Louvre one day, you know, so say Wednesday I went to the Louvre, or Wednesday was like my Saturday. So what was wrong with that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm having a blast. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing um, to be able to do. And, uh, and um, it's just wonderful to come and meet customers that I've talked to for years and haven't met them and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, share a picture or share uh, uh, some memory of something or create new memories. So it's, it's really great. Um, you mentioned your company is now uh, in its seventh year of existence. Um, your role in the company slightly changed when a, a new investor came on board. Mm -hmm. How do you like your current position in the company? And is there anything you would like to change? Well, you know, I'm still doing what um, I'm still doing a lot of important things to guide and grow and support everything that's happening in the company. So uh, in any role that I'm needed for, I'm willing to do it. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm a pretty good uh, resource for the company in, in many levels, and I don't have a problem with anything right now. I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm fine. Uh, some things, you know, not having to do everything um, it's not a bad thing, you know, in the beginning I had to do everything. Everything was on me. There was, uh, you know, unbelievable uh, pressure uh, to do a lot of things, you know, not just uh, financial pressure, but timelines and deadlines and things like that. So I get to move to a, a place where um, I like, in a, in a space that I like, and and do what I like, you know. I mean, there's nobody bothering me in the company, if that's what you're saying. Nobody. <laughs> well, <laughs> not so much that, but it could be that you'd like to be more involved in certain aspects of the company. Things that I like to be more involved with, I step up and I get more involved with. Things that I want to be less involved with, I step back and I get less involved with. It's, it's that simple for me. And um, when there's a problem, uh, you know, I run into the fire. I don't run away from the fire. So. Uh, you know, whatever it is that the company needs me to do, and our customer base needs me to do, and our vendors and our distributors, I'm there to do. Whatever it is. You know, whether it's taking the garbage out in the building, here we go again, or whether it's, you know, being at shows, being at licensing shows, being, you know, anywhere I can be of help, you know, that's what I want to do. Right. Um, speaking of licensing, we might get into a little nitpicky area here, but um, since you came on to the scene, um, certain aspects in licensing for pinball changed, as in that all of a sudden there were two companies interested in a certain theme, and more companies started getting interested in licensing, and now there's more companies interested, and from what I hear, Many of these licensing companies, they all they care about is like, let's get the most money for our license, uh, you know. So it's no longer that you get a cheap license because there's nobody else interested in it. Now there's three or four parties that might be interested in the license. How is that affecting pinball in in a, in a business sense and in general? Well, you're right. 
Uh, maybe there's 10 or 12 different companies right now trying to get licenses. You know, when you, uh, I looked at one of my distributor shirts last week and he had uh, eight different logos from eight different pinball companies on his shirt. I thought he was awarded all kinds of medals in a battle, the way his shirt looked. Uh, it was kind of kind of funny looking at all the different logos, but, you know, I, I've been credited or blamed with that. Um, you know, we gave rise to the fact that other people said, well, you know, if Jack can do that, I can do that. So that's good. Um, I, I think it's great. Let the better companies and people um, making the products rise to the occasion. Uh, competition is great. I thought that years ago. And uh, with the licensing companies, you know, there are licenses that I looked for that are already gone. Um, great licenses don't necessarily equal a great game. Um, I, I think we know it's, it's what you put into it and what you make it be. Uh, certainly people thought I was a little crazy when I said I was going to make a game without a license uh, on the level that we made um, dialed in. Yes, it took a lot longer for the game to catch on, and it probably cost us uh, the same amount of money, you know, uh, uh, to do that as, as what we did with uh, Hobbit. But look, you know, the funny thing about licenses, uh, most of the companies licensing things, they call around, they try to get an auction going. So, uh, you know, I do get calls from different licensors saying, hey, uh, how you doing? Good. So-and-so uh, is looking at this license. Do you have an interest in it? <laughs> and it's it's probably not the most ethical thing, but look, they're trying to do what you said. They're trying to get the most for their license. And some things are too difficult to get. They don't have enough assets for me. You know, I want video. I want. I need to license music. I need to license video. I might need to license animation. I might need to license, uh, you know, other assets to go in our games. Um, and if uh, and if I think that those things are either going to be uh, way too expensive or way too difficult to uh, like nail all the jello to the wall to make them happen I'll just I won't give up I'll just say no oh, okay that's not for us we'll go do something different you know let let somebody else choke on that chicken bone it's not for me did okay. you grill me enough <laughs> I think I think so <laughs> am I well done so, well that depends is there anything that um, yeah, you would say. That you would like to add. Oh, I get I get a editorial commentary question of the show. Well, look, you know, I, I just, I appreciate what both of you do. I mean, it's uh, a mutual admiration society here in a way. Um, it's really cool that you come to all these shows and that you write and that you report. You know, you do, uh, you know, your your magazine is not a magazine. It's, it's, it's a novella. I mean, it's just unbelievable uh, commitment to what you do uh, new people coming into pinball to discover what pinball is I mean I visited the French Pinball Museum the other day uh, yesterday I was there and to see you know hundreds of uh, vintage games and in, in the condition they're in and to stand there and see pictures on the wall of you know Ray Maloney and David Gottlieb you know I don't expect that my picture or, or a it's going to go up on the wall. I, I expect, you know, like a brass bust of me of something like that. You know, really, I don't want a black and white picture of me. You know, they better they better do something good when I'm gone, for goodness. No, I'm only kidding. But, you know, it's really um, very humbling 
to be part of that kind of history because my intent in 2010 when I was thinking of this in 2011 when we launched it was just to make great games you know I didn't know all the baggage that would go with it I didn't know all the um, all the social media part of it the criticism the the um, you know the good the bad the really good the really bad um, it's been a great ride and and you know it's made us stronger as a company and I think uh, Pinball is something really great. Uh, none of us own it. We get, we get to contribute our part to it, and it's really cool that so many young people are, are getting into it, especially uh, women. You know, you come to these shows around the world. I remember going to the few shows that there were years ago, and, you know, it was just the freaks and geeks, and uh, uh, like me, I was one of them. And uh, and now you have whole families, and, and it, it, it's... It's just spectacular. It's just really a great time. I think we're really at the beginning of the boom for pinball. I, I think we, we're just scratching the surface to the beginning of it. And, you know, maybe all the companies that start out, maybe not everybody will be successful or long-term. Uh, all of them, I, I wish all of them the best. I, I'd like to see a few more get in there, too, you know, with, with some more great ideas. It makes, it makes it better for everybody, really, you know? So just thank you. I really appreciate it very much and everybody listening and I get a lot of emails from a lot of people I get a lot of texts I get a lot of phone calls and you can keep them coming I value all the opinions um, all the criticisms I answer everybody and I respect everybody for everything that they put into it because it's their heart and their passion for uh, pinball well thank you for taking the time to sit down with us thank you well that was interesting wasn't it um I think there's a lot of useful information from that. Um, some, so, a certain amount of reading between the lines as well could also be done from listening to what Jack uh, said there. Right. Uh, but I think, I think the key thing is that he's very keen to, to you know, do what has to be done in order to get the game into production to uh, produce the best game he possibly can, the most reliable game. Um, and he's the work, The last thing he wants is a repeat of what happened with Wizard of Oz. With um, with the light boards there, where they had to go around replacing parts after the afterwards, and it was no, and and I still replaced them as, as he said. Right. So uh, no, there were definitely um, what uh, he said some very interesting things, um, and I think um, in the end, um, even if they replaced the three spinning discs um, and uh, the the chest not opening but being constantly open. Um, the game is still action-packed with stuff, um, so um, you're still getting good value for your money, I think. Oh, it would seem so. We also have to see the, the final product and uh, see how well integrated the disc is into the rules. But um, I've no doubt that, that JP is going to do some, some great graphics. Well, we've seen, seen a taste of that in the little podcast that they did. Um, so I don't think the rules themselves are going to change. It's just merely a, a means of display playing them to the to the player right. rather than it being you know three three tiny little words that line up on the play field in a relatively dark area which you can't see that well um it'll, it'll be up there on the big 27 inch display to tell you what what the award is so yeah i mean from a from a value for money perspective i guess you're not getting a mechanism that you would have got but on a from a game play perspective you're probably seeing it you know, exactly in the way you would have seen it before and 
getting some different kind of action from from the spinning disc, which they're going to you know do different things with to what they they could have done with the with the three uh, concentric rings. Right. So there's one thing about the um, the chest being open constantly that actually might allow for um, changes in the software um, that might actually benefit the game. Um, I suggested this to Jack, um, and uh, hopefully this might get into implemented. Obviously, I don't work at the Jersey Jack Pinball, but I figured um, since the chest will be open, um, that will allow you to see how many balls are locked, which basically allows you to go for a um, lock-stealing scenario similar to Total Nuclear Annihilation. So if you go into multiplayer, um, if, if you can constantly lock balls in the chest, um, then you can go to a quick multi-ball and maybe steal one from other players, make it interesting as a, as a multiplayer, multiple player game. Um, I think that would actually be very welcome to the game because right now the game, as, it, as I've played it, um, you really have to just start flipping until something obvious um, um, or when, until something lights up that it's obvious to you what you're actually going for, but at the beginning there isn't. And novice players might need something like, what am I going to shoot for? Having the chest being open and able to lock balls and get into a quick multiple, that might actually be something that novice players might appreciate and just be what they need. So if they would implement that, I would obviously advocate for that being or turning something bad into a good, but that's just me. Oh, I think you're right, but bear in mind that uh, at the start of the game you, you pick a, a character and you can you can choose various, well, two, various characters to choose from and each of them brings an attribute to the game and, and you know, one of them could be that that kind of feature is enabled. Now, you can, you can, you can steal locks from other, from other players you know, if, you, if you choose a particular character, so it's, it would be easy to add from that perspective. You know, it, it, it's, it sort of sits well with the existing rule set, I think. Right. So, well, it's up to, to the team of Jersey Jack um, to see what they do with that. But I really would like to make that suggestion, like, see if you can add that or implement that into the game. I think it would be a benefit for everybody. Yeah, okay. So that's, uh, that's probably enough about Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean, depending on where you're, uh, you're living. Um, shall we have a, a, a talk about... Uh, is that your phone? I think it is. Or is it mine? Hang on, let me check. Um, no, it's not mine. No, it's it must be yours. Yeah, it's me, it's me. I'm sorry about that. Terribly sorry. Well, in the middle of the podcast. I mean, who would ring you in the middle of a podcast? Who, who's calling? It's Gary. Jerry? Jerry... Stellenberg? No, no, uh, Gary. Oh, Gary, Gary Stern. No, oh, I, right. Not Ga Gary Stern. Gary Flower. Gary Flower. Oh, well, well, he's always calling. But what did you give him your number for? That was a yeah, that was a mistake. I know, I know. Oh, but goodness. now but he so he has. Have you got any so. idea what he might be calling about? I have no idea. He tried calling me a couple of times earlier, um, but I uh, I wasn't here. I left my phone here on the charger, and uh, I have no idea why he called. I tried oh, calling. I did try calling him back, and then he didn't answer, so that didn't get me anywhere. And then he call you right now in the middle of a podcast like this. I mean, what what great timing! Uh, do you think it's worth picking up the phone? Do you think you should find out what it is he actually wants to talk about? Um, well, if you say so. Uh, but oh, hang on! I think he hung up. 
Oh, are you, you going to call him back? No, we're in the middle of a podcast. Why would I call him back? Well, I'm sure everybody listening wants to know what it was he was ringing about. It must be very important to ring a... He's rung me three times now, so... Well, I'm very curious, but let, let's finish this first, and then I'll call him back later. If it's important, people will find out. Okay, we'll put it in the next podcast. Yeah, okay, excellent. So where were we? The, uh, the other new game, I suppose, that was at the show, sure. which isn't actually in production, um, and that is Olympic Goblin from Phoenix Pinball. Right. Uh, now, I know you've covered that in your monthly updates uh, on Pinball Magazine. Um, it's, not a, it's not actually a production game yet. Uh, there isn't a manufacturer um, yet, well, as far as I'm aware. They, or is there? Well, they will be doing the manufacturing themselves. Um, and uh -huh. so that, that could be very interesting. Um, the game has been in development for a little over two years, I'd say, uh, because I'm, uh, I'd seen it two years ago at Flip Expo um, when it was still a Whitewood and um, uh, just the first iterations that were made public, I'd say, um, you couldn't play it, but the game was there and you could ask questions about it and um, a lot of people already commented on it that uh, I think they had at that point only the back glass and they made a topper out of uh, the Olympic Goblin that was featured on the back glass as a topper as well but it was all very um, um, well it didn't look that professional I'd say um, yeah. mm -hmm. Uh, and some might say, talking, eh? right? And some might say uh, that it still does. Um, that's uh, well, art is um, well. You can have lots of debate about art, but it's still art, I guess. Um, it wouldn't be my um, preferred artwork, to be honest. But I'll get back to that because there's something something interesting to report on that as well. Oh, okay. Well, um, let me have a little little discussion as well then about something which I've had some experience with in my real-time job and that is the use of um, the word Olympic. Uh, you think it's a sort of generic public domain phrase or word but actually it's very closely controlled by the International Olympic Committee and their licensing branch and you cannot just go putting the word Olympic on anything, as particularly not anything to do with games of any kind. Um, now, when we were doing a, um, a pinball tournament format in London, the pipeline, we wanted uh, it was in 2012, which was um, and London was also the host city for the Olympic Games in 2012. Right. So we wanted to do a kind of pinball Olympics, but we we could not call. We could not use the word Olympics, anything to, or games even, in relation to anything that was going on. It was actually illegal. Uh, laws were passed to stop anybody sort of cashing in on the Olympic brand without paying the International Olympic Committee their licensing fee. Right. Um, so we could not do that. So we had to call it Summer Games or something like that, you know, uh, which, which well, some of pinball games, which we did, and you know, it was good fun. We did sort of like tech in different disciplines, like a decathlon on um, different different styles, you know, sometimes some using you know, your feet to flip, you know, all, all kinds of various things. Uh, but this is something I think 
Phoenix Pinball might run into problems with because they have called their, their thing, you know, Olympic Goblin, and it's got a goblin holding a torch, running, you know, just like an Olympic mascot. And I think they will not be able to take it into production with that name. That's that's my opinion. I'm not a lawyer, but I do know how very tightly the IOC defend and um, pursue um, those who try to cash in on the Olympic brand without without getting a licensing deal on their, on you know, from them. And I don't think Phoenix Pinball would be in a position to do that. So they may need to do think about changing the name of the game. Well, but, um, <laughs> maybe they do. That's only my opinion. Right. Well, maybe they do. Um, I do have to say they did not use the five rings or anything that. Sim uh, I mean, they could even do something with five pinballs, um, and they didn't do that. Um, so there is the 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 the, uh, the, the green mascot uh, carrying a torch, but yeah, um, you don't see them suing the uh, the Statue of Liberty. Effort carrying a torch as well, so um, no, no, you can carry a torch. You can't use the word Olympic. That's the problem. Right. So, um, well, that could be an issue. Then there's uh, two solutions. Um, or, well, the interesting thing is um, these people hardly speak any English. So, uh, good luck sending your um, notification that they. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sure the, the International Olympic Committee would have um, lawyers in France as well. Right. So, um, um, and then let me get to uh, what I was hinting at earlier, um, because um, I've played the game, and we'll get into the gameplay of uh, a, a little bit later on. Um, there were a few comments I had about the current gameplay, um, uh, especially... Um, the, the sounds, the, the background music and the, the, uh, the sounds uh, effects and uh, if there were any voice calls. Um, I would say those were uh, definitely up for debate. Um, <laughs> as well as the artwork of the game because a lot of people criticized that. Um, and the interesting thing was um, I spoke with, um, trying to remember uh, the guy's name, don't remember it right now, but it's a team of two people, Christian Petit and this other guy, I think his name starts with a J, but I'm not sure. Um, and he told me that um, anything is customizable with this game. If you, um, the, the soundboard is a pin soundboard, um, you can customize any sounds. Currently, there is one uh, background tune that is running constantly, but the game has I think uh, four or five different modes. So I suggested why not have a different soundtrack for each mode? You can do that. They already made that uh, possible in the software that you can change those tunes, put in whatever you like, and customize the game that way. Same goes for uh, sound effects and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and okay, it's probably worth it at that point just just having a little little recap of exactly what the game is for those who haven't been following it that closely. Right, it's running on Pascal Janine's Gottlieb style board, hasn't it? Yes. Or isn't it? Uh, um, so, and with a pin sound sound card, it's it uses LED seven segment displays. Right, uh, very much very much in the style of of Gottlieb games. Um, so you know when you drain. When the ball saver's going, it says chance. 
on it is, in exactly yeah. the same way as the uh, as the Pascal Jenning boards for Gottlieb games would say. Right. Uh, it's a s- simple uh, layout. It's got th- uh, three pop bumpers and three banks of three drop targets, I think. Is that right? Yes, that's right. It's uh, almost a symmetrical playfield layout. Uh, except for the fact that there is a spinner on the top left, which is not on the top right. Um, and there's also four rollover lanes at the top, um, which, we, which you didn't mention yet. And that's about it. The entire layout looks very Gottlieb-like, which isn't that strange, because Gottlieb was very, very popular in France in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And the idea behind this game is, as far as I understood it, bring back the simplicity of the electromechanical um, rule sets from those games, but in a modern-day cabinet with running on ele- uh, modern-day electronics. I think that's the, the, the right. best way to simply describe it. But we're not looking at a Keith Johnson rule set here. The gameplay on this game is extremely um, simple. It's easy to understand. It might not be difficult. Uh, for a, a, a seasoned player, it might maybe be easy to master, but for a novice player, not. Um, with the <coughs> sorry, with the current artwork, you might think that it's aiming at children, and maybe it is. You know, but um, funny enough, as simple as the game is, I think that's the game I played most all weekend. I kept coming back to it. Mm, I played it. Um on two separate occasions. The first time I played it, I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't think the the rules, or the the game didn't kind of explain to me what I was meant to be doing very well. Uh, That's probably because of um, lack of any kind of speech to it. Um, But afterwards I had a discussion with you about it, and you told me what the basic idea is, and once I'd done that, I actually found it enjoyable, but quite simple. You know, I actually got through all the four stages right. in, in my, my very next game. Right, so let's um, explain for our listeners briefly what the idea is, and I'll give it my best shot. So okay. um, there's a couple of modes. Um, the first mode is called uh, Get the Pigs. Um, you have to see the artwork to understand, but the, uh, there's an image of the, uh, uh, the Olympic Goblin character grabbing two pigs. Um, um, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there's two pigs on there, and what happens is uh, when you start a game, you start in that mode, and there's uh, you have three banks of three drop targets each. Um, one bank is on the left, one is in the center, and one is on the right, all in the at the top of the playfield. Um, what happens is um, of the nine targets that you have, there's one target blanking on the left. Uh, drop target bank and one uh, opposite on the right, which represent uh, two pigs. And basically what you have to do is knock those two blinking specific drop targets down. When you do that, you will hear a um, ta-da fanfare, um, and you instantly move on to the next um, mode, if you want to call it that. You don't have to qualify for something first or you don't have to start anything by shooting a ball into a lock or 
uh, a scoop to, to, to start the mode, you're instantly in there. Um, the second mode is win the race and I think there's three drop targets being lit um, in that uh, mode, if you want to call it. So you shoot those down and then yeah, I think on. it's one on one on each of the three target banks, isn't it? It's a different one to the to the first ones. Yes, um, and then uh, in the next mode, which is actually interesting, the next mode is called "Eat Them All," um, which I think should be reversed with the mode after that, which is "Beat Them All," because I figured, okay, first you grab the pigs, then you win the race. Um, if you see the artwork on the game, then you beat them all, and after you've beaten them, then you can eat them. Because that's sort of the idea what I got, because you see a picture of the, the, the goblin on the playfield eating the, the, the <laughs> pigs and the other animals that it has been beating in that other round. So that should, technically, that should be reversed. But okay, that's nitpicky stuff, I guess. Uh, kids won't mind. Um, but so the third mode, I think there's four, uh, four or five drop targets on the left side that light up. Um, and once you completed those, you go to the other mode, and then it's five drop targets on the right side that light up that you have to knock down. And then you get already to the um, uh, the winner stage, and there's uh, three stages on that. There's like third, second, and first. I think the third uh, is completing all nine drop targets, and that will mm -hmm. allow you a double bonus. Uh, it will award a double bonus. Then there is uh, an extra ball awarded if you do it another time, and then the uh, last time you have to do it, it scores a special. Um, that's the main gameplay, and then at the top there's the four rollover lanes that you have, and uh, atop of that it says uh, corrupted judges. Um, each rollover lane represents a corrupted judge, so there's four characters which apparently are uh, these judges uh, who are corrupt. Um, and what's interesting here is that um, you try to um, obviously collect all four of them, but each one, um, which is lane changeable, is tied in with um, uh, extra high scoring on certain uh, lanes uh, on the playfield. So if you get, let's say you get the, the, the most right um, rollover lane at the top, once that's lit, it will light certain lanes on the playfield for extra scoring, and that will light up from below. Um, so it doesn't say like a thousand when lit. Instead, one thousand will light up above that lane, indicating that it's worth extra points. Mm. Yeah, because you, you can't see it until it's lit. That's what you're, you're saying. Yes. Yes. Um, and the interesting thing is, as, as far as I understood it, because the top lanes are lane changeable, um, but when you do that, you also change the position of the lit lanes that award extra points. Obviously, when you complete all four, then every lane mm. on the playfield will be awarded, uh, awarding extra points. But if you don't have all four, then you can still flip around the, the, the extra high scoring to the lanes where, where the ball is near. If sure, you, sure. Right. So, okay. Um, so, something there which um, was maybe not obvious, but was almost taken for granted, I think, um, 
is that although this is a, a French game and uh, has a very French feel to it, all the playfield writing is in English, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think so. Although it mostly was also um, the rules were almost like um, 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 a, a sort of puzzle with sim symbols. There's not much writing in the rules. It's more like symbols uh, with with the animals being drawn and all that kind of stuff. But um, don't remember that much. But uh, corrupted judges was in English. That's that's correct. And and the, and the mo titles, you know, the win win the race, yes, yes. beat them all. That, that was all in English as well. Yes. Okay, so yeah, it was, it was a fun game. Um, the question is, who's it going to appeal to? I mean, that's one of the things which really confused me a bit because you think it's it would be a, a good home game, or or it would be a good cheap on location game. You know, if it was priced at a very low price, like almost like an EM game would would be, right? You know, um, fifty fifty cents, twenty five cents even per game then you can imagine it doing well. It's one of those games where you could have a short ball time, but if it was cheap, you wouldn't worry about it too much. Right. But for the home home aspect of it, that, that confused me a bit because I thought the you know, the ultimate aim is to beat the third stage of the wizard mode, and when you do, what do you get? A special. Well, that's worth nothing in a home environment. Is right. it? You, want, you want to have something better than that. So maybe that's something... And you need to rethink as well, or, right. or at least have an alternative possibility. You know, giving you a, either an extra large points award or, or some other kind of bonus. Right. So what I suggested to them, um, being this appealing to kids and being this simple, um, I asked them why not put in a redemption ticket dispenser and go for. The, the arcades that are full of this type of redemption games, you know, and just award tickets for each mode that is completed. Awards yeah, it's very simple to do, I think, I imagine. Right. Um, the thing is, um, ticket dispensing uh, games are illegal in France. So uh, they haven't thought about that because they're, that's unfamiliar territory for them because it's illegal. Um, they like the idea and they can see how it could work internationally, but they have to um, get into that and see how the regulations are on that and what they can do, um, you know, so. They are not there you yet. Are you looking to them a bit more uh, than I have, so what, what's your impression of, of who they think, or what their ambitions are with this game? Are they intending to, you know, sell hundreds of them, thousands of them? Or just want to don't want to make thirty or fifty or something just to sell them to home buyers. I'm not sure whether they are aiming at home buyers. Um, it's difficult to say. I think they are more aiming at operators, and um, they probably want, and that's just an assumption on my end. But France used to have a lot of pinball machines in uh, public areas like bars and and cafes and that kind of stuff. Um, that mostly disappeared, and partly because games have become rather expensive. Um, this is a very simple game with a very low bill of materials, I would say. I mean, the slingshots didn't mm -hmm. even have kickers, and still they sort of acted like they were supposed to. Um, what I understood, I talked to them, and um, while nothing is official, I can't express that enough, but they are looking to price this game under 5000 euros including taxes so that would be like i'd say 
um, at least a thousand euros under the cheapest pro version of any Stern game that you can currently find. Um, that might make it interesting for, um, for operators. Plus, it's made in France and the, France, the French like stuff that's made in France, so that could work for them as well. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, as you say, very patriotic when it comes to buying buying produce. Um, not sure whether that that differentiation between, or if you compare that game to you know, like an, an Iron Maiden Pro, it's hard to see that you're going to you, you can get away with less than about fifteen hundred euros difference in price, um, given all the extra features and um, you know, displays and everything that you get in in a Stern game. Right, but. Um, you know, um, on the other hand, you know how many, you know how many youngsters are going to be able to walk up to an Iron Maiden game and, and have fun playing it from scratch, as opposed to that game, which um, you know anybody can play, you know a couple of games on or three or four, and uh, instantly understand. Well, once once it's pointed out a little more obviously, in, uh, instantly understand what the uh, aim is and what the uh, targets are and what the rewards are. I th so yeah, it, it could work. Um, a simple game can work, but it has to be priced right, and it has to, you know, that will get it back into cafes and family entertainment centres and places where, where you know, a big scary, uh, multi-layered, multi-ball, multi-rule game would scare players off. Right. Um, and what I also understood is from talking to um, uh, to the team that they are working on a second game. The second game will be more complex. Playfield-wise and probably also rule-wise, but they still want to keep the price, quote unquote, under um, five thousand euros, including VAT or uh, whatever the taxes you want to call them, sales tax or whatever they are. Mm. Um, so for this, is, you could see this as a first game that they would just make to test the waters. I'd still say, if you want to put it out on location. Um, if they are going with, uh, if, well, if they're going to allow customers to um, uh, provide their own custom artwork, uh, which is what they told me, um, I think the game could use different artwork. And if one of the customers comes up with a, a very nice art package, who knows? They might offer that to others as well. Um, yeah. I think that's definitely getting into the territory of, of the enthusiast market, though, isn't it? Rather than an, an operator who wants to buy a game well but even there. for an operator you know, it's not going to want to retheme it well no but for an operator the game has to look appealing as well and if you put this game in a lineup uh, next to an iron maiden or a ghostbusters or a uh, a pirates of the caribbean or a dialed in um i think the other games might be more appealing to the eye and might get the quarters oh absolutely i can't disagree with you there but but I think that the company, you know, the manufacturer, has to come out with an attractive package, not rely on some third-party, uh, um, somebody who's bought the game and decided on their own on their own time to go ahead and, and work out a better package. Right. You know, the, the Phoenix Pinball should be doing that. They should come out with something which is great right from the right from the off. They shouldn't need uh, anything extra added to it by an operator. Because an operator, as we know, is not going to be bothered spending time as time is money so they're not going to be bothered doing all that they want to put it out there earn the money get get the cost back and start making money on their investment right um what they might be what might be an idea for them is uh, 
see if they can um, do some sort of contest. Any artist that wants to provide pinball artwork, here's your chance. And the best one gets his artwork on a game, and who knows how it will end, it, uh, you know. I mean, if the, there's plenty of artists out there that might be interested in doing something like that, and this could be a good opportunity. Well, absolutely. We might actually end up with um, them getting, you know, um, getting invitations from other pinball companies to do pinball art, because uh, you know, there's more and more companies now making games, and you know, all those all those games need complex and comprehensive art packages, and there's a there's a limited number of people currently producing that. So we need to get some some new talent in, right? Um, as, as Stern has done, you know, very recently. So. Uh, uh, so if it, if it brings people out into the pin and you know, from wherever they are into the pinball market, then it, it could be a good thing for everyone. Right. So, but um, but aside from okay, um, obviously there's still a little bit of work, and there's certain things that you can discuss whether you like them taste-wise or not. Um, I'm happy to see that they at least they are trying and they are very serious about it. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's it's an interesting project. Um, we'll, we'll also have to wait and see whether, whether you know how far they want to go with it. If they're going to manufacture themselves, or well, that that would suggest they're talking about small numbers at least initially. Um, which again, probably is the best way. I mean, um, as a small company, you don't want to have immediately five hundred orders because that that might be scary. So let them let them develop this and grow into whatever they want to do and get better at it. Um, iron out all the um, uh, the the child uh, kids diseases that might pop up um, when going into production and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then see what they come up with next. Okay, jolly good. That's um, that's Phoenix Pinball's Olympic Goblin game. Uh, to mention, I'm going to have some some pictures up um, of that on my um, report from the show in the next couple of days. Right. Um, along with a, a whole overview of the Flip Expo show. Right. Um, I have a, over a hundred high res pictures now. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's going to. It's been a lot of work, and it's going to take a little while to download. I expect when you actually look at the report, but. Um, they did come out very nicely, so I'm very pleased with the way the pictures turned out. But the will, that report should be up uh, in the next day or two. And if you're listening to this a day or two after uh, we've actually put this podcast online, uh, it'll be online now. Okay. Right. Uh, so anything else to add about uh, the Flip Expo show? Do you well, think? Uh, what I would like to add is that I will uh, be uh, publishing my own report as well. Um, actually, on Olympic Goblin, I already wrote a report, which is already on the Pinball Magazine website. Um, currently, the pictures are missing. Uh, I will be adding those later, but I just got home uh, a couple of hours ago, and I'm working my way through a pile of email and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there will be pictures of Olympic Goblin, um, uh, which I took with the glass off and, and detailed areas and, and such. So um, for those interested in looking at what we just discussed, go to pinball-magazine.com and you'll find it over there. Um, there is one thing I'd like to add. We mentioned the banquet at uh, the, um, the French shows in general, I'd say. 
because I've been to other shows in France and they had similar banquets. I think it's a great way to um, appreciate or to say thank you as an organization to the people who are bringing games to the show, to the volunteers that are helping them to make it a great show, to give them something back that is not accessible to the ordinary public unless they pay for it, you know, but it's a very nice gesture and it sure helps um, to, to um, uh, motivate volunteers to either help out at the show or bring games, you know, it's, um, I think it's a very nice gesture to do and um, I can see how other uh, show organizations are being organized but I would strongly suggest like take this into consideration. Couldn't hurt. Oh, I think that's a very good, very good point because uh, these these ga these um, these shows live or die by whether or not people bring games to them. Right. And um, I, in defence of other shows, who are the organisers of which probably listen to this are going, but we do this, we do that. I, I absolutely know that, like at Texas, um, every 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 game that's brought gives the the person who brings it a, a ticket into a prize draw. Which is drawn at the end of the show, and I know that in the uh, Northwest show, for instance, as well, they also do uh, reward the people who who bring the games, um, and they give them uh, they have a free breakfast there. I think uh, on the Saturday mornings. Right. Uh, so yeah, there are uh, there are probably other rewards as well, which I'm forgetting about. But yeah. No, I'm is not saying that other shows aren't doing that. I, I'm aware of. Uh, I think every show has their own way of. Um, uh, showing their appreciation to those who help out and who uh, bring games to the show. Um, but for those listening that are organizing shows, I'd like just to see what they are doing in France and if you like what they do and see if, you, if it can work for you. If you have something else and that works for you, that's also fine. Yeah, absolutely. I agree because, uh, uh, as I said, shows primarily when they start up are all about you know, having a, a wonderful selection of games that people wouldn't otherwise have access to uh, and people take out of their, their home collections or operators bring along and rewarding those people who make the extra effort. It's so easy just to, to do what, what I did in that case, which was just to rock up at a show, pay my four euros per day, go in, play the games, uh, take a lot of pictures, write a report and, and leave and effectively contribute very little to it other than helping to publicise it and hopefully bring more people along in future years. Right. Uh, and you yourself did actually bring a couple of games. You and Ad Yonka together brought um, the, the, brought Matrix the Matrix and the Big Lebowski. And the Big Lebowski, exactly. So yes. two very sought after and much appreciated games, I'm sure. So yeah, I think it's absolutely right um, that, that uh, people should be rewarded. Uh, and appreciation shown for the extra effort that goes into doing that because it's not just a case of I mean, for most people it's not just a case of just stick it in the back of a van drive it to the show and unload it and, and leave it there for the weekend it's get it prepared make it bulletproof and make it look the, the best it possibly can take it to the show set it up level it clean it make you no know, things happen in transit as well you know things break Things that have never broken in their life, we put put it the machine in the back of a van, drive it ten feet, unload it, something's broken, um, and then look after it the entire weekend as well. And then, you know, when everybody else has gone home at the end of the show, you're still there 
with the with the leg spanner, taking the legs off, folding the game up, packing it away, putting it in the van, uh, the bit that nobody ever gets to see. So I think, yeah, all all power to those shows that, um, that thoroughly reward those people who make that effort. And um, and and it sounds like Flip Expo did a very good job of that. Right. So um, what I also would like to mention is that uh, in the vendor hall, uh, there was. Uh, an interesting selection of uh, newer games, I would say. Um, we had uh, quite a good representation of uh, Jersey Jack Pinball games. I think there were two of each game. Wizard of Oz, a Hobbit, uh, two dialed in, three even, I think, um, and there were two pirates with three discs, of course. Um, Spooky Pinball was even represented with um, uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation, a Rob Zombie game, and The Jetsons, which is technically by the pinball company, but built by Spooky Pinball, um, and The Big Lebowski, which I brought, which is has nothing to do with Dutch Pinball, but I asked them, and they wouldn't be attending the show, but I asked, can we borrow a game, bring it to the show, and then we'll bring it back to you afterwards. And, I'm very appreciative for that they allowed us to do that because it certainly was a, a nice, uh, um, an eye-catching game at the show, and uh, a lot of people were very happy to being able to play that finally. Yes, and you had the nice big banner behind it with the rug and, and the wording on it. Um, so yeah, that was sort of slightly offset from the other games. It had its own space. And uh, looked very nice, and, and I'm glad you're able to keep it going for the majority of the show. I mean, I had little problems here or there, which you're able to fix. A connector fed off or something, or yeah, um, but something minor. But you, yeah, I think uh, people, even though that game's been out for well, been been out in various forms for a while, um, and obviously isn't in production at this moment. Uh, there's still a huge level of interest in playing it. It's not. Uh, even after all this time, it's not people haven't got tired of it. There's, the no. queues there were uh, were huge. Actually, a lot of people who played it for the first time they were really um, uh, surprised with what a great game it is. At least that's the feedback yeah. that I got uh, over the weekend. So um, I really hope that Dutch Pinball gets their uh, things uh, together uh, with their uh, side tech company, and that they will have uh, production games coming off the line uh, soon. Yep, yeah, indeed. I think we all we all hope that. Um, anyway, uh, anything else to wrap up about about Flixpo before we uh, we call this uh, this special podcast to an end? Um, no, I think this is it. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, in that case, let me let me close by saying thank you very much to our special guest this time, Jack Gunnery of uh, Jersey Jack Pim ball and uh, doing doing our, our special interview it was uh, it was good fun we had a good time at the show i think and jack certainly seemed to enjoy himself and uh, love the banquet and i think the whole the whole atmosphere there was very very positive and uh, enjoyable and you know, the weather only only uh, went to uh, help that as well um the whole area i think it's, it's a good show and uh, and you know i'm kind of kicking myself for not having been there for five years because um, it is—it's such an easy show for me to get to. Really, um, it's uh, like an hour and a half drive from my house to the ferry to get across to France, and then another hour and a half drive when I get to Calais to La Trepot, and it's a lovely little village. So we'll be very keen on going back again. So, and congratulations to Frank and everybody who helped organise that show, and uh, and thanks to Jonathan as well for uh, for his assistance over the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Well, my pleasure. 
Um, well, I guess this is, uh, this is it for now. Uh, we'll be back at the beginning of next month with our monthly uh, recap of the news of what will be April uh, 2018. <coughs> Yes, I think we will. Um, we, we did the last month as a sort of one-off just to see how, how it went and whether the people were interested in it. And, uh, well, people seem to like it. So I guess we're going to have to keep doing it, aren't we? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, we can always stop, but let's continue for now and let's see how people um, uh, feel about this. Or, you know, again, if there's any feedback that you guys have uh, listening now and... Um, if, uh, please do let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, uh, um, we both have email addresses on our websites, um, which are easy to find. So just drop us a line um, and uh, we look forward to any feedback, any constructive feedback as well. You know, if there's anything that you think that we can improve, then just say so and we might take it into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is uh, new stuff for us, so we're still learning what to do and what not to do. So uh, your your guidance on that would be, be very much appreciated. Thank you. And uh, thank you for listening to this one. Uh, if you got all the way through it, um, then, uh, well, award yourself a, a gold medal from the Olympic Goblin. <laughs> right, okay. So um, I'm going to say thank you for now and uh, I hope you enjoyed this and uh, hopefully um, you'll be back uh, with our next podcast. Yeah, beginning of next month. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, bye-bye. <laughs>